Greg, thank you so much for meeting me here. For this clandestine meeting. Were you followed? Were you followed? Probably. But okay. let's go meet in the National Mall, um, where, again, out in the open, nobody will hear a thing, I'm sure. Well, no, the best clandestine meetings are always wide open, you know. Absolutely. And, and thank you for wearing the Fandora and trench coat. You're really committed to the role. Indeed I am. So, John, I have questions. Yes. This recording, what are these recordings? I don't understand. So, the government calls it a podcast, and they say it's called Aspiring Snobs. It's apparently some kind of podcast where they revisit classic movies that they probably should have seen by now. But really, it's a front. A front for, a, but for what? I don't understand. These seem like two God-fearing Americans. I don't understand. They would love. They love our country. That's what they want you to think. Okay. With a generous donation from the Clinton Foundation, it's actually a front pushing leftist propaganda. But where did the money from the Clinton Foundation come from? Well, if you look at this very simple chart that I've laid out for you. Oh my gosh, okay. Somalia, I see. <laughs> yep, Somalia, so there's white water here. Yep. Uh, big question mark around Harvey Weinstein. I don't know how he fits okay. in. But, but we'll I can see he's out. connected to the fluoride in the water. That's turning the frogs gay. Oh, of gay. course, yeah. of course. Again, the, yeah. the frogs are now gay. This, this makes sense. Mm-hmm. Which is what ISIS wants. Yeah. So you see here, ISIS wants gay frogs. So that trickles down to Americans. Yeah, and that's why the ambassador in Benghazi had to die. Yeah, okay, I see it now. It's, it's a very simple chart. And if you don't get it, well, that's your problem. Yeah. You know, again, we can't explain this to you. I mean, if you're blind to it, that's fine. If you're one of these simple sheep who just take everything at face value that the government feeds you, yep. then fine by you. Yep. That's such a shame. But John, we can only, we're, we're the teachers here. We can only impart so much. <laughs> and like most teachers, we're super qualified. Indeed we are. I'll tell you how we were qualified. We experienced an historical document. Strap in, folks. <laughs> For the first time ever, you and I watched the 1991 classic, JFK. directly engaged in the defense establishment. We annually spend on military security alone. January 1961, President Dwight D. Eisenhower's farewell address to the nation. Now this conjunction of an immense military establishment and a large arms industry is new in the American experience. The total influence, economic, political, even spiritual, is felt in every city, every state house, every office of the federal government. We must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. Two reasons why we revisited this this week. Mm -hmm. Um, One, we're approaching the 54th anniversary of that fateful event. I believe, yeah, this will go out on the day that it actually, the exact day that it went out, November 22nd. Yep. And also, because of this movie, there uh, was more of a concerted effort to declassify some of the documents surrounding the assassination of JFK, mm-hmm. which were recently uh, released by the Trump administration. Well, Mostly. T- Timing-wise, <laughs> yeah. timing uh, this was scheduled to go out in 2017, no matter who was president. Yeah, but he likes to take credit for things. Oh, absolutely, so, yeah. you know, let's, let's give it to yeah, him. Yeah, sure. <laughs> That's, yeah. how Trump o- that's how Trump always wins. It's like, let's just give it to him. Yeah, I know. Shut he, up until we do. He, he exhausts you, much like this movie does. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Greg, what are you saying? I Okay, let's let's get into it. That's that's the let's get let's get into the history of this movie. Most of this movie is hokum. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> really? Are you sure? As as the recent release of these documents, the documents of the JFK assassination <laughs> demonstrate, there's not a whole lot there there. I think we can kind of take the the Warren Commission at face value. Yes, it was a lone crazed gunman <laughs> shooting at an uncovered limousine. And yes, he had sniper training. Um however, People like Jim Garrison, or folks like former DA Jim Garrison, director Oliver Stone, and a lot of other crazy dads and grandpas out there. Just love to kind of give, uh, imbue with a little more meaning and conspiracy behind it. And so there's a lot in this movie that kind of, you know, stretches the truth a little bit to make that conspiracy just a tad more compelling. What? <laughs> no. <laughs> really? <sighs> Bummer. I, I know, John. I know you. I bought this movie hook, line, and sinker, <laughs> as I'm sure a lot of audiences did in 1991. I mean, heck, this is on Roger Ebert's great movies list. Well, we'll we'll get to that because <laughs> I want to say again. I want to preface it by saying, as a historical document, it's horseshit. It's again, it bears a, a, a very little resemblance to the truth, and unless basically where it ends is yes, Jim Garrison did try to prosecute a businessman in New Orleans with some kind of conspiracy to assassinate the president. That did happen. Everything else is kind of, you know, loosely tethered to reality. Mm-hmm. So as history, not so good. As a piece, as a movie, as a piece of political theater, holy cow, major thumbs up. Uh, okay. <laughs> I gotta say, I was so compelled by the, the filmmaking behind it. Not, 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 Throughout every stretch of the three-hour-plus runtime, but mm. I gotta say, between the the screenplay and how it lays out this information, the performances uh, delivered by a top-flight cast, I was still like really compelled by it, in spite of how uh, problematic its uh, reality is. See, or interpretation because... of reality is. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's because I can't separate the fact that this movie is horseshit, because. <laughs> I was so bored. Really? And I was completely just uninterested. Because throughout the whole movie, it's just like, hey, look, we found another piece of evidence that just totally confirms our theory. Oh, great, here's another piece. (laughs) It's just, it never, like, granted, there's a great pace and there's a great energy to the movie. You know, Oliver Stone, Mr. (laughs) Okay, here's what we're going to do next. (laughs) We're going to have push-ins and more push-ins and then pulls out and then push-ins. And cut, 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 cut. (laughs) I want reaction shots, people. Reaction. Yes. <laughs> You're right. It's it's not the it's not the most compelling drama because characters are so reactionary and and there's so much well, information. No, it's just that there's no there's no tension to it. Because again, they're so self righteous, they're so self assured, and they just keep running into more information that proves them right. <laughs> You're right about that. I will I will disagree with you that there's no tension. I mean, I I feel it this is within the actors' faces that, you know, in their in their mindset that this was a coup d'etat and they feel like everything that they've been told is kind of so there's some question of how they move forward with this information. So that mm-hmm. that I found compelling even though you're right. Story-wise, if you talk about the structure of a story, really your character should be proactive and and going after things. Instead, they're completely reactive and literally just sitting down with people in rooms, um, and then those people (laughs) harangue you for about 30 minutes. Yeah, and it's like, if I had to, perfect metaphor, this movie's a 10-lane highway because there's no roadblocks. Like, there's hardly (laughs) any tension 
that stops them, even when, you know, things get serious and, ooh, they're bugged by the FBI. It's like, <laughs> look at them trying to get us. We'll stop them. We'll show them because we're good, honest Americans. Yeah. <laughs> like, and even when there's like, I remember reading a bit about the history of making this movie and how there was lots of other actors that he wanted instead of Kevin Costner to play Jim Garrison. Mm-hmm. And the reason why they eventually went with Kevin Costner is because a lot of the other actors wanted to explore the kind of personal toll that this took on Jim Garrison, which Oliver Stone was evidently not interested in at all. Yeah. Because we only get, like, two scenes with Sissy Spacek, who, you know, like, shows the kind of rot tension that's happening in this family as he dogged, is so doggedly determined to yeah. go after this man and this case. Yeah, the, the the what's really at stake is his reputation as a district attorney. <laughs> that's really... <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we get these two kind of tacked on scenes. It's like, you don't spend time with your children anymore. Daddy, why don't you love mommy anymore? <laughs> like, it's just like, it's like bad, like, and the performances, I couldn't get into the performances because it felt like bad community theater. Because it takes place in New Orleans, and everyone's like, oh, lordy, I was sweating like a sow in mud, gumbo, gumbo, gumbo. <laughs> you're right You're right about that. It, it, people are kind of hamming it up. <laughs> well, I, well find, kind of... I, find, I find it goes into two categories. Either characters play it straight, or, again, they go way off the rail, or, like, literally take their fork and knife and go straight at the scenery. <laughs> and... Well, it's just kind of... It's ironic for me because we've also explored another movie very similar to this, mm-hmm. which is All the President's Men. And our major complaint about All the his- uh, All the President's Men was that it wasn't histrionic enough, that it was a little too kind of straightforward. Oh, yeah, it wasn't... was boring. Yeah, and I had, the exact same pr- I had the exact opposite problem with this movie, where it was too histrionic, it was too <laughs> over-the-top, hitting me over the head, telling me, like, you should care about this! <laughs> well, I think and again, because... maybe it's because I know that Yes, Lee Harvey Oswald act alone. You're not fooling me with this bullshit Oliver Stone <laughs> that I didn't care enough. So, again, I tried to separate myself from that, and I just couldn't. And maybe that's why I wasn't invested for the whole latter half of the courtroom drama, which is essentially what this is. Well, yeah, later. So it becomes an investigation um, at and in the first hour and 30 minutes, and then the latter half, it becomes a, a courtroom drama, where mm-hmm. they basically press charges against Tommy Lee Jones, um, who was nominated for a uh, Best Supporting Actor Oscar for this movie, because I think he does toe the line between being, uh, as we said, the one end of the spectrum, being kind of grounded and down-to-earth, and and identifying the gravity in the in the death of a president, versus um, <laughs> the, I'm going to put on my, my Nolan's draw and, and yell things. <laughs> Well, also, he's a homosexual, so of course he's got a cigarette holder and a rather fey misdemeanor. Mm. Well, I feel, I, I feel that was that was reined in slightly. Okay, we'll, we'll differ there as well. Uh, debatable. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe we should... So I think what helps this movie is the casting of Kevin Costner as Jim Garrison because he's kind of an all-American guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone also an apolitical actor. Like I don't, I don't know if he's ever been, you know. But he seems, he seems kind of straightforward. When really, <laughs> like a lot of conspiracy theorists, Jim Garrison is a little off his rocker. <laughs> Which of course you don't really get a sense of that from this movie. No, because, of course. Again, not. he's our hero. Yeah. So. And actually, career-wise, looking into the history of Jim Garrison, and you're right. Like um, I think uh, there was also casting. They were going to cast James Woods in this role, and like you said, he wanted to look at. He wanted to make it a biography of Jim Garrison, mm-hmm. rather than about this this hokum that <laughs> that this that this investigation ends up being. 
Well, again, like, and that would make it a much more interesting movie if we explored the intersection between is this guy just trying to get further his career? Is he trying to just get attention? Or does he genuinely believe this stuff and he thinks he's making a difference? That would make a very compelling movie. But again, Oliver Stone is doing this story, so obviously he's a straight-laced all-American guy who's fighting for democracy, goddammit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's fascism, people. Yeah, I will say, in terms of the information, I do like how the movie's structured, because as you said, the first half is that investigation, and all that information is doled out by either news footage or mm-hmm. um, Joe Pesci, who's, like, who's, again, chewing the scenery <laughs> with a ridiculous southern accent. <laughs> And a ridiculous hairpiece and fake eyebrows. Uh, the character he's playing apparently has, like, alopecia. Yes. Which so. isn't revealed until, like, the latter half of the movie. Mm-hmm. And, again, I wasn't sure if I was supposed to find his wig and hairpieces, like, fake-looking or not. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a there's an actual picture you can look on Wikipedia of David Ferry, and that's what they had to go off of, pretty much. It's a pretty low-res oh, photo, okay. but, yeah, it's a monk shot. Gotcha, so. all right. <laughs> Fair enough. Everybody's flipping sides all the time. It's funny games, man. Funny games. What about the mob, Dave? How do they think in this? It's the agency, too, man. CIA and the mafia working together. Trying to whack out the beard. Mutual interest. They've been doing it for years. There's more of this than you could dream. Well, check out something called uh, Mongoose. Operation Mongoose. Mongoose? Uh, government, Pentagon stuff. Uh, they're in charge. But who the fuck pulls whose chain? Who the fuck knows? Oh, what a deadly web we weave when we practice to deceive. And who killed the president? Oh, man, why don't you fucking stop it? Shit, who did... This is too fucking big for you, you know that? This is... Who did the president? Who killed... Get... Fuck, man! It's it's a mystery! It's a mystery wrapped in a riddle inside an enigma! The fucking shooters don't even know, don't you get it? Fuck, man! I can't keep talking like this. You're gonna fucking kill me! I'm gonna fucking die! Fair enough. Yeah, speaking, speaking of fairy... <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey oh. Yeah, what did you think of the depictions of gays in this movie? <laughs> well, that's the other thing, too. It, it kind of brushes over is because I do think a lot of this... Uh, I, I, I don't want to delve into the personal life of Clay Shaw, who's the businessman who's implicated in the murder of uh, JFK. Mm-hmm. I don't want to delve into his personal life, but I can't shake the feeling that, yes, this was probably motivated by some homophobia <laughs> Or some well, no, assumption that, that it, like again, gays... Uh, gays take part in deviant behavior and, and you know, they lack morality. And of course they would, you know, try to assassinate a U.S. president. <laughs> well, no, and that's a big component of the historical aspect of this movie is the mm-hmm. fact that these guys were involved in the CIA potentially or the FBI and the FBI kept files on these people and used it to blackmail people. But that kind of larger context is completely like glossed over. I mean, you do get that line in the courtroom. It's like, he's just trying to disparage a poor gay man. But again, it's like completely tossed off because you know we don't know. You know, Jim Garrison's just fighting for American democracy. Yeah, darn or, it. You yeah, know? somebody accuses him of that. Like, oh, you're just going after. Him. He's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's pretty much the extent that it explores that. Uh, exactly. Except for Which one is weird, scene, because except... it's like it's a three-hour movie. Yeah, and not and it feels so surface level. <laughs> I guess that's what bothers me. It, so you're much. right about that. I'm glad you brought up the, the the FBI and the connection because when you talk about surface level, once we, it, the start of the investigation begins with a character played by Jack Lemmon and his friend Albert Finney, they have an argument, and that's kind of what leads Jack Lemmon's character to admit that there's some kind of conspiracy going on here. 
Mm-hmm. And that performance I do like because, again, it it, it it intones the gravity of the situation when he says, like, you're so naive. And so there are a lot of, like, little money moments like that. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot of great actors in this movie, no doubt. Oh, yeah. I just don't know if the material is giving them or the material is giving them what they need. Exactly, because following that, when you talk about surface level and, and not giving the actors what they need, the following scene, they're <laughs> like, okay, their business is here, but there's a CIA, you know, black site right here and the FBI building, or the post office is right there and the FBI, and it's all in like one square. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> well, no, it's just like... like thinks, just like, because oh. of their proximity to each other, suddenly they're all like aligned somehow. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, can you believe it? All the government buildings are close to each other. <laughs> Collusion. Yes. John, I heard they're and, still centralized in one location called the Capitol. What's that about? <laughs> also, why would Lee Harvey Oswald be handing out pamphlets to government employees? Protesting the government. <laughs> Coincidence? I think not. And you're right. Again, like, it's, like, again, it's not a perfect movie. It does have those peaks and valleys, and this was definitely a valley... The, the reason I, I preferred when we were cross-cutting and like quick-cutting the news footage because when you rely on characters to give this kind of exposition, it becomes, as you, as you rightfully point out, very boring and very dry. Mm-hmm. Can I tell you about my favorite scene in the movie, though? Go ahead. Going back to the ambiguity that the, I think this movie sorely needs, my favorite scene involves Michael Rooker. Oh, yeah? Who's playing one of his kind of low-level... Mm-hmm. Uh, employees. Oh yeah, and, I and when you talk about like good performances, like he somehow like imbues this with the seriousness. Again, it's mostly through yelling, but <laughs> yeah, and also you know Michael Rooker actually has a southern accent, so it feels <laughs> a little more genuine coming out of him than everybody else. Mm-hmm. But it's the only scene in the movie where anyone kind of like stops and says like, "This is crazy." <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's just another opportunity for Jim Garrison to stand up and grandstand and be like, we're fighting for the right here, people. We're fighting for American democracy, you know, pounding on the table. And, you know, Mike Rooker leaves. It leaves kind of ambiguous whether he will ever work for him again. And that's a really interesting scene. And the movie needed more of that. Uh, it needed, well, it needed more of that. It needed less of that scene because that scene drags on for about 15 minutes. <laughs> Well, yeah, of course. Because <laughs> then another employee kind of like stands up as like, if he's not working, I'm not working. Like, blah blah blah. It's just the... yeah. So it's like it's that little window within that scene that mm-hmm. you're right. Like we need to take a step back and we need to kind of see the gravity of the the personal toll that it's taking on these people. Because as you said, we we get token nods to uh, Jim Garrison's family life and the toll that it's taking on his family through two arguments that he has with his wife, Sissy Spacek. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about it? some top flight actors who aren't given who are given short shrift <laughs> i think she's she's probably the worst because you have all this compelling drama and you and you totally drag it down with the most cliche like you know look at the toll that it's taking on your family <laughs> well i mean we could really kind of dig a little deeper and talk about how this movie just has kind of poor gender politics no that yeah i mean there's not just the fact that you know Obviously, Jim Garrison is fighting for, you know, American freedom, and, you know, his wife is just getting in the way. There's also this weird aspect where it investigates Lee Harvey Oswald, and Lee Harvey Oswald famously would beat his wife, and his wife, you know, eventually would admit to this and mm-hmm. admit that Lee Harvey Oswald is not a good guy, believe it or no. not. If you're the assassin <laughs> of the president, yeah, it turns out you're not such a good person. But it's like, the movie implies that, like, they actually genuinely loved each other, and she was, like, turned by shadow government people. Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, you know, these women, they're just so emotional. <laughs> they're just so easily <laughs> manipulated. 
Well, you also... <laughs> Lee Harvey Oswald was just a patsy. He was just a simple, average guy who worked for the CIA. You want to talk about patsy? He's not that. He's also like a tubula rasa. Like, you want to talk about wasted performances? That He's played by Gary Oldman, who does not scream once in this movie. <laughs> no, absolutely like, how do you? How do you... How do you cast Gary Oldman and literally my abiding image is like him just staring blankly ahead? Yeah, I mean, but I, that kind of makes sense for me because it would be like, it would strain credulity too much if you tried to make, because the movie wants you to be sympathetic towards Lee Harvey Oswald, but if you look into any history of Lee Harvey Oswald, you realize he's a weirdo. And not a good person, yes. And not a good person. And it diminishes the message so it's of like, your movie where you want to say he's a patsy, he's, he, was, mm-hmm. he was dragged into this, and you, you, want, you want him to be a sympathetic figure, I get that, but... Yeah, exactly. So it's like, but again, why obviously... cast Gary Oldman? Like, cast somebody else. Cast an unknown. Cast somebody <sighs> with a with a baby face. You know, not. <laughs> well, obviously, he liked to cast big names. Yeah, not the guy who played Sid Vicious in Dracula. <laughs> Oliver Stone is nothing if not a showman, so he tried to get the biggest names that he could. Yeah, and obviously Gary Oldman's a known name, and he does have a bearing resemblance to Lee Harvey Oswald. But again, it's like throughout the whole movie. I kind of believed the performance because, again, like, what's the one comment everyone made? Like, <laughs> also, one of the things that strains credulity, everyone they ask is like, oh, yeah, I remember him. Exactly. You know, he was apparently <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> yeah, again, I don't want this to devolve into, like, you know, <laughs> Oliver Stone says this, but in reality, <laughs> I don't want to pedantically go over that, but... Yeah, you're right. This is the other uncompelling part when they're just talking to witnesses, and they're so assured. They're so assured that, yes, I I heard the shot from the grassy knoll, and um, mm-hmm. oh, I saw a puff of smoke. It probably wasn't the uh, 90% of the population that smoked at this time. It was definitely <laughs> rifle fire. Or the fact it was a train yard, so there could be smoke coming from a train. Yeah. But no, obviously it was muzzle flash. Yes. Duh. And again, they're so self-assured, and, you know, well, why don't you testify? Oh, I couldn't possibly. <laughs> Well, no, that's and that's my problem with the whole movie. It's so sh- self-assured. Yeah, it's where so, I like ambiguity yeah. in my pieces. You know, I don't like easy answers. Well, just to go back to Gary Oldman's performance, I think that could be compelling if they did shine a light on Lee Harvey Oswald's temperament, the fact that he did mm-hmm. he was a serial abuser. That mm-hmm. and then you kind of shade this character a little bit more, and you would get more out of a performance of Gary Oldman's caliber. Mm-hmm. And again, that's it would true. just make more yeah. interesting drama. Like, but instead, we're so. <laughs> We're so kind of narrow focused on on our one goal, which is to get you to question uh, the nature behind the JFK assassination. Yeah, I mean, but what else could you do with that? Because again, we only see Lee Harvey Oswald in flashbacks, obviously, in grainy, shaky, black and white footage. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how could you get a good performance out of that when you're literally lighting him like that? Mm. Well, I'm actually glad you mentioned the lighting. Because this movie... Now we're really getting into the weeds. The lighting of this movie was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, it's not terrible. It's a trademark of a cinematographer named Richard Robertson. And he's done a lot of movies. This is literally what every one of his movies looks like. (laughs) I'm sorry Mm -hmm. sorry to report. Um, Because a lot of the time it does not fit. I believe one... uh, I can't remember which critic pointed this out, but he, he was a cinematographer for The Hateful Eight. There are spotlights okay. in that movie. There's no electricity in this cabin, and yet there are spotlights somehow in The Hateful Eight. Yeah. So it doesn't fit there. However, I feel like for this material, perfect. A-plus job, Mr. Well, Richard of course, Richard. because, again, this movie is a play, basically. 
again, it's bad community theater right down to like the <laughs> no, I, I, big the big heavy tweed jackets, you know. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that. I'd say it's more about um, it's it's a reflection of the truth that characters are realizing, or mm-hmm. your kind of perspective on them. Because again, when we look at that old black and white footage of Lee Harvey Oswald, he's kind of bathed in this light and he looks kind of angelic. Same with a, another shot with a Joe Pesci as David Ferry in it, mm-hmm. or like again, they sit down they sit down to dinner. Um, a lot of this investigation uh, takes place over martinis. And so when Jim Garrison once lays this out for his ADAs, there is a giant spotlight at the dinner table, which, again, is something that the cinematographer does for every movie. However, for this one, it fits because, again, he's explaining all the revelations that he's found out. Yeah. I mean, so that I will that I will give the movie credit for. But if this movie is kind of conspiratorial, which mm-hmm. it most certainly is, shouldn't you kind of play with shadow and light a little bit more or maybe in a more he interesting with way? Light. I guess, but it's like, for those, I mean, all right, fine. I guess it's the tone of the flashback scenes that bother me. Again, this movie is so self-assured when we do get kind of like flashbacks. There's no ambiguity to what's happening. It's like, it's played out exactly as the characters are saying that it's happening. Like, obviously, oh, he's dropping the bullet. Oh, they're hiding the guns. Oh, they're giving hand signals. You know, it's just, it's ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to ask, one thing that this movie was credited for was recreating footage from that incident like the Zapruder film mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it's recruit it's recreated exactly however again like they they do cr- they do cross cut between actual archival footage from this uh, the assassination with footage they shot themselves in the early 90s in Dealey Plaza mm-hmm. and so I guess from that point of view it's convincing again no, from the mise en scene itself is convincing it's when yeah. characters open their mouth not so much <laughs> yeah, palm print on the weapon well, it went to the FBI, Bill. The FBI didn't find a goddamn thing. It comes back a week later, and one guy in the Dallas Police Department suddenly finds a palm print. For all we know, it could have been taken off Oswald in the morgue. There's no chain of evidence. I never could figure out why this guy orders a traceable weapon to this post office box when he goes into any store in Texas, give a phony name, and walk out with a rifle which can never be traced. To frame him, obviously. There's a lot of smoke there. But there's some fire. We're talking about our government here. No, we're talking about a crime, Bill, pure and simple. Y'all got to start thinking on a different level like the CIA does. Now, we're through the looking glass here, people. White is black, and black is white. (laughs) And they were even able to shoot in the book depository where Lee Harvey Oswald took those shots, So, which was kind of a miracle in and of itself. So credit to them, but... (sighs) Yeah, in aid of what? To discredit the U.S. government? <laughs> I, I feel like more it's got its sights set on the military-industrial complex. This is the other thing, too. Again, it's it's so narrow-focused on getting you to question the nature behind the JFK assassination. However, again, you take a step back and you will see, again, those ridiculous, you know, <laughs> those ridiculous bulletin boards with the yarns and string because I, I believe it starts with... Eisenhower's farewell address, which he addressed the the dangers of the military-industrial complex, but then it goes to, like, Cuba and the Cold War and wanting to start, and then LBJ had a connection to a a, a military contractor in Texas and all this other stuff, and and again, there there are easier ways to handle this. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, who doesn't want to start a movie with a little history lesson? Come on. Exactly. Narrated by Martin Sheen. (laughs) I know, of all people. Yeah, exactly. He's, like he's not one to he's not one to lecture. <laughs>
I guess we should get to I guess we should get to the money shot. Uh the courtroom scene? Yes. <laughs> yes. So I think this is where everyone kind of like really falls in line if it's like, oh, this is the greatest movie of all time. Because yeah. again, like sensation wise, this is kind of a great courtroom scene. Yeah. Again, trying to ignore the fact that this is all bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> and again, it's like every little time that I noticed he, he like those little instances where he's like, Well let's speculate. And I'm like, No. Okay, you don't get to speculate in a this court. Is a court this is the court of law. <laughs> yeah. And there's other times where he's like, to me it feels staged. I got a hunch. I'm like, what? <laughs> that doesn't hold up in court, good sir. Uh, no. <laughs> Aren't you a DA? <laughs> I do, there are some scenes, they cut back. Uh, at one point they cut very briefly to the judge rolling his eyes. I did like that. Again, <laughs> that this is movie fit, does yeah. not acknowledge enough that, you know, the other side of the debate... <laughs> Mm-hmm. If as much as you can uh, debate facts and <laughs> facts in history and reality, but <laughs> there there are little token acknowledgments that yes, Jim Garrison, this this trial was uh, basically a circus, and again in reality the jury literally took about ten minutes. Like yes, this guy's crazy. Claw, Claw, Clay Shaw is innocent, clearly innocent. <laughs> yeah, and they was and they de- deliberated for less than an hour. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean the courtroom scene is pretty impressive and it's a great performance. Again, I just can't separate the fact that he's just spewing bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't, yeah, I, when I speak to the money shot, it's really this money monologue at the end. This mm-hmm. half-hour harangue that kind of ends the movie. Um, mm-hmm. And this is where, again, Kevin Costner's kind of homebre- uh, homegrown, genuine nature really comes out. I mean, because, again, and where he really broadens the scope to, it's not just about this assassination, it's about, you know, what we what we feel is America, you know? Mm-hmm. He always talks about his children. And what are we going to preserve for the next generation, people? Exactly. It really gets to your heart. Yeah. He's a good lawyer. A democracy or, or fascism, you know. Exactly. Those are your two options. <laughs> <laughs> but again, I, I got to say effective. And at the end of this three-hour runtime, run you're exhausted and just say, like, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I was, I was kind of underwhelmed the whole time. And, again, maybe, like, if I could just view it objectively. Like, the movie I kept thinking of when I was watching this was Birth of a Nation. <laughs> Which, okay. cinematically, cinematically, obviously, a huge is achievement, a triumph. Yes. Um, a, huge techni- a huge technical achievement in the history of cinema. Yeah. Subject matter-wise, it's completely deplorable. <laughs> and with this movie... I couldn't quite separate the two either. I wanted to, and even like in the technical aspects, like again, the overlit, the over-the-top performances, I still wasn't completely sold. And now more than ever, I think this movie is extremely dangerous because now we live in a world where we have a conspiracy theorist in the presidency. Yeah. <laughs> so the fact that people just are like, well, you know, why, why believe the government? Why just, you know, question objective facts anymore? You know, fake news, fake news. Like, I really cannot recommend this movie or you know support it in any way whatsoever okay <laughs> I, I mean i think you're being i think you're being a tad harsh i think oh this, really am yeah, i i think i do think i have to get gets... into a courtroom sir i'm just a simple american i ain't some big city fancy lawyer i'm just defending the right for my american freedom and my children <laughs> i think listen i think in terms of this being a conspiracy theory it's pretty innocuous again it's been 50 years I think we've kind of moved on as a nation, in spite of what our current president thinks, <laughs> um, who is mentally back in you know grade school. But um, mm-hmm. 
I think you're right in in one aspect, and I wish maybe this movie covered it more. In that the the nature behind conspiracy theories is we desperately want to apply meaning to what happens in life. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because we and, can't face the reality that things happen. And this movie totally tries to make that point. It's like it doesn't just present JFK as a president. He he's a revolutionary figure. Exactly. He's gonna yeah. end the war. He's gonna give us civil rights. He's gonna he's a messiah. Yeah. He's not just a president. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is what we tend to do with presidents after they get out of office. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't uh, a philandering, you know, <laughs> a philandering, back pain suffering, <laughs> or opioid addicted man who uh, bungled us into the Bay of Pigs and the <laughs> Cuban Missile Crisis. No, no, no. He was going to get us out of Vietnam. Yeah. He was going to pass the Civil Rights Act. It was going to be great. Yeah. And he was struck down by one man. No, it's unbelievable. It's too unbelievable. Yeah, and I'm sure, like at the the nation at the time, again, we couldn't we couldn't get over this crushing notion that this happened for nothing. Exactly. I mean, it's the same thing. You and I were young when we experienced 9/11. You know, it's, and I think there's some there's some draw there to apply meaning where there potentially isn't any, and you know, we mm -hmm. have to kind of live with life's mysteries in that instance. And so, I wish. I wish this movie focused on things we can control, mm -hmm. which is our kind of reaction to these things, when, these tragic events when they do happen. But it doesn't really, you're right, it's too self-assured. Uh, it's too um, It's too kind of narrow-focused in that agenda. Um, no, and even towards the end in that monologue, he also kind of implies that Bobby Kennedy and MLK, those assassinations were also planned by the same evil cabal of people. Yeah. And it's like, What? <laughs> no <laughs> I, yes that might be a, a bridge too far <laughs> exactly but again it's just like one passing line and it's just again if you're swept up in the moment it's like yeah totally yeah. there is a deep state I should buy those vitamins <laughs> so I, I wish I wish it did touch on that a little bit more you're right in but in spite of how again I won't say abhorrent but how crazy all this material is <laughs> I can I can recommend it for its technical merit and it's compelling. It's a compelling three hours. I will say that. Mm. So Disagree. again, if you if you want to you know if you want to enjoy this alternate history, which again I think of some value in maybe alternate history stories. <laughs> mm, disagree. <laughs> okay. This is John. Will is... John will come to a mutual agreement here? Okay. Okay. We'll shake hands. We'll declare a mistrial. Okay. And we'll move on no. with our lives. And I'll just you know. Talk, I'll just tuck into my sleeve like Project Alpha is underway, Project Mongoose, Project Mongoose, and you know there'll be red dots focused <laughs> in on your forehead. Okay, but John and the status. But John in the, in the rifle scope, I lean down and I and I and I hug my <laughs> wife and kids because <laughs> John, I'm returning to my I'm a family. I'm just a family man, John. <laughs> I'm just a simple family man trying yep. to speak truth to power. Absolutely. The truth is the most important value we have because if the truth does not endure. If the government murders truth, if, it, if we cannot respect the hearts of these people, then this is not the country in which I was born in, and it's certainly not the country that I want to die in. Tennyson wrote, authority forgets a dying king. This was never more true than for John F. Kennedy, whose murder was probably one of the most terrible moments in the history of our country. You, the people, the jury system sitting in judgment on Clay Shaw, represent the hope of humanity against government power. In discharging your duty and bringing the first conviction in this house of cards 
against Clay Shaw, that's not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Do not forget your dying king. Show this world that this is still a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. Nothing as long as you live will ever be more important. It's up to you. And it doesn't mean I, I won't give up. I won't give up. Oh, no. As long as the status quo is preserved. <laughs> <laughs> and, John, I'm going to keep on I'm gonna keep on the Southern drawl. It's fun. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> yep. That's more fun like a June bug on a leaping frog on the bayou. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you. Yes. Reminds me of that summer down Lake Ponce train. <laughs> <laughs> we was hunting crawdads. <laughs> gumbo, gumbo, gumbo. <laughs> <laughs> and jazz music. <laughs> well, John, I'm, gl- I'm glad we've gotten into these southern accents. You want to know why? Why is that? It plays exactly into what I want to examine for Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. Oh, you always have a plan, good sir. Yes, I do. Gears are always turning up in your head. Absolutely. Um, speaking of gears and machinery, <laughs> mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about a recent release here. Okay. Came out on Netflix yesterday. Uh, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> it's now available on Netflix and in some select theaters. Mm-hmm. It's a new Oscar contender called Mudbound. Ooh. I've heard a few things about this movie. Although, I think Netflix has gone a little overboard with the uh, Western-themed stuff. So, I was kind of, like, uninterested in this. <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's prestige, essentially. Okay. Yeah, this is... Um, Netflix has already obviously made headways into award-winning television material, and now they're trying to get into award-winning cinematic material and that's what they're last year last year they got their first oscar nomination with like beasts of no nation or something like that or is that the year before no that was their first official original film was beasts of no nation um they did get nominated for a documentary about protecting poached gorillas from poachers or something i I wish i could remember the name of it yeah oh god now i feel horrible that's confusing the african movie with the movie about (laughs) don't worry i'll I'll cut i'll cut all this out (laughs) no you won't i won't i won't john trust me i won't repeat it eight times at the end of the episode (laughs) you'll just edit me into saying black people are gorillas (laughs) (laughs) anyway moving on this movie also explores uh, the lives of black people in the in the by in the, in the uh, Mississippi Delta, in the Bayou. Yes, <laughs> Mudbound is a uh, set uh, post World War II in again the Mississippi Delta, and it focuses on two families: the McHenrys, a white family, and a black family called the Jacksons. Okay. Um, the Jacksons are uh, tenement tenant farmers. Um, I I guess I I. They're essentially sharecroppers, pretty much. Um, <laughs> the uh, patriarch of the family, Hap Jackson, dreams of owning his own land. Uh, the patriarch of the McHenry family, he's played by Jason Clark. This is a, this movie has an incredible cast too. He he also plans of having a home and uh, and a better life for his two daughters, but he gets swindled, and so they have to kind of share. They end up sharing this land, or they have to live alongside each other. Um, and they get along in spite of um, Jason Clark's character's mild racism and his father's virulent racism. <laughs> <laughs> and then they both have family members that go on to fight in the war. For the Jackson family, it's their son, Roncel. And for the and for the McCallan family, it's Jason Clark's brother, played by Garrett Hundlin. His name's Jamie. Uh, Greg, I'm looking at the cast list, and you uh, buried the lead. You didn't mention that Pappy was played by the great, great Jonathan, Jonathan Banks. Great Jonathan Banks, yes, I should have mentioned How that. How dare yeah. you? How yeah. dare you, good sir? <laughs> 
A credit to Jonathan's everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> but John, he's not playing hitman. He's not playing a hitman here. Well, he. It's... First of all, Mike Ermintrout is not a hitman. Okay, he's the muscle. Okay, you need to get over this. <laughs> God, it's like you've never even watched Breaking Bad. <laughs> John, what do you think muscles do? Huh? <laughs> Only when push comes to shove, Greg. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, these so these two members of the McAllen and the Jackson family uh, have parallel journeys through World War II. Almost, oh. as, almost literally the exact same journey. <laughs> Wait so, a minute. A prestige picture taking place during World War II? Interesting. Exactly. So in spite of those really good performances, including really the star of the show is Carrie Mulligan mm-hmm. as the, uh, the put-upon wife of the, of the McAllen family, in, sp- in spite of that, you kind of see, in spite of like these these top flight performances, incredible production design, really convinced, like really compelling stuff, you can kind of see the machinery behind it. Mm-hmm. You can see kind of see where the story is going. Um, it doesn't help that it's that it starts uh, not in medias rest, but like in final rest, <laughs> like it kind of starts at the end. And so, like again, you see everything that's kind of going on. And so, like for me, it was predictable. It was tasteful and. It reminded me a lot of Lost City of Z. Yeah. Yeah, so, again, like, very tasteful, you know, very well done, but also... Maybe pretty, just a little too dry. Yeah, pretty dry and, and a tad dull. <laughs> yeah. Again, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky balancing act where you're trying to go for verisimilitude, but also you want that histrionics. You want that pounding on the table. You want that yelling. Yeah, or, well, not just the histrionics and yelling, but, again, like, interesting twists and things like that. Instead... Oh, okay. Instead, maybe it's just because I'm such a savvy, you know, moviegoer, but <laughs> I kind of s- could see where the story was going and was just kind of waiting for it to arrive there. Got it. Yeah, and that makes All it. Right. So it's still a, it's still a, a very well done movie, whether it reaches, you know, Netflix's aspirations for Oscar gold. Uh, not not quite so sure. Fair enough. Mm. <sighs> Greg, I, I let's let's for my spotlight, I have to give you a little history. Okay. About John Mantell. <laughs> The most compelling figure of all. <laughs> yes, I know. You're all dying to know. Uh, back in 2006, I read a book mm-hmm. that I'm spotlighting this week called Assassination Vacation by Sarah Vowell. Okay, you're, you're a vowel head. You're a... I'm, a, I'm a huge vowel head. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I... For those that don't... Him. Sorry, for those that don't know, Sarah Vowell is an author. Um, you can hear her on NPR. And she's the voice of Violet in The Incredibles. Yes, she's the voice of Violet Parr in The Incredibles. <laughs> yeah. She got that job from her voice work on This American Life. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see her um, coming soon in, in The Incredibles 2. <laughs> <laughs> Check out the trailer now. Smash that like button. <laughs> Hit that little bell so you can get all our... Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> sorry, sorry. sorry. John, sorry to interrupt you. No, no, no. I'm used to it by now. <sighs> anyway, I love this book. I love her writing style. The conceit of the book is that it's half a uh, history book, half travelogue. So what she ends up doing is she travels to these historic sites centered around the Lincoln assassination, the McKinley assassination, and the Garfield assassination, and basically speaks to the history behind these places. Why, it's almost like a murder sojourner. uh, Kind of, yeah, a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm I'm glad, I'm just going to let that marinate for a second that I came up with murderer sojourner. Great, yeah, no, no, I'm glad you're happy with yourself. Um, <laughs> but she has a great dry wit and a great kind of observational tone and she, her writing style is just wonderful. And it mm-hmm. led me to this wonderful journey where now any book that comes out about assassinations, I just gobble it up. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> so I have a few lists of, I have a massive list of books I can recommend, and because I've bought all of them, I'm probably on some kind of FBI watch list right now. I do. Um, <laughs> There's uh, Manhunt by uh, James Swanson. That's uh, about the Lincoln assassination. That's about John Wilkes Booth 12-day chase. Mm -hmm. There's The President and the Assassin, which is about the McKinley assassination. I wish the title was a little more poetic. Compelling. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. There's uh, Destiny of the Republic, which is about the uh, Garfield assassination. Mm -hmm. That's actually by Candace Millard, who also wrote uh, another great book about Roosevelt. There's a... Hellhound on his trail, which is about the um, MLK assassination. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, John, basically, tell tell us why you're so compelled by assassination. <laughs> I think what fascinates <laughs> maybe, me. Maybe is, it'll give us some light into your psychosis. <laughs> <laughs> I do find it compelling the idea that one lone person can change history forever, and usually it's a person who's mentally ill. <laughs> and so, even you can make a difference, guys. <laughs> And girls, don't... don't. <laughs> oh, what, like Squeaky From? Come on, she barely graced <laughs> Ford. Um, but I don't know, I just... I love history, and I love reading about American history, and I, it's just... It's fascinating reading these kind of parallel tracks that lead to this one event, and then how they kind of, like, taper off. You usually have this great mythical figure of history, and then this just one lone nut... And they meet in the middle, and it just changes everything. Okay. So I find it a very compelling narrative. And so those are just a few books you can check out. And then also it led me to a few books about conspiracy theories and why they're all full of shit. So that's okay. probably why I hated JFK. Because <laughs> I've, never, I've never found a good book about the JFK assassination because, again, they always feel like they need to pull double duty in not just being a historical book, but also, hey, all this conspiracy stuff is bullcrap. <laughs> Please stop perpetuating it. Yeah. Or maybe get into the implication of, you know, like the emotional aspect to it, because what I, what I despise also about conspiracy theories is, you know, that it basically diminishes the emotional impact that these things have. That is very true. Instead focuses on, you know, negativity or dark forces or things like mm-hmm. that, so. False flag! False flag! Yeah, exactly, yeah. And again, doesn't compel us to action, doesn't compel us to react in a positive way, so... But John, but John, I, I'm glad you're a budding conspiracy theorist yourself. <laughs> First and foremost, read Assassination Vacation. It's a mm-hmm. great book. Okay. And I highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. And all of Sarah Vowell's books. Well, oh, all right, fine. You can skip uh, Unfamiliar Fishes, but whatever. Okay. <laughs> I'm, John, I'm surprised. I mean, did you Actually, know? Unfamiliar Fishes isn't that bad. What's her... Uh, the one about Rhode Island is actually pretty weak. I can't remember what that one's called. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> okay. John, we had a yeah. good through line here. Mm-hmm. In terms of uh, Southern culture, it, you know, uh, the implication of of, uh, of the assassination of historical figures, I think uh, mm-hmm. I think we've uh, hit a lot of uh, important notes here. Yeah, I think it's great to look back at what you just did and re-examine it. I think that's what makes it a compelling work. Absolutely. When you, you when you you know, get introspective, Oliver Stone, if you're listening, please <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe look inward a little bit, see what's going on. No, he's, he's too dome. busy. He's too busy gazing into the the steely blue eyes and chrome and chrome heads, shiny chrome head <laughs> of uh, dear leader Vladimir Putin. <laughs> ah, yes. He's just so shiny. He's yeah. so strong. Sorry, I don't. I don't want to make enemies of another government. So <laughs> you're gonna be uh, found dead of plutonium poisoning <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> yep. 
Not a good way to go. Mm-mm. John, let's let's talk about where, where <laughs> that's not a good way to go. John, let's talk about a better place where people can go. Yes, social media, where we can spread all our fake information. <laughs> no, John, our real information. Other places yes. are the source of fake news, but we <laughs> we brought to you the real stuff. Only real news. Yeah. You can trust whatever you see on our Facebook page, Aspiring mm-hmm. Snobs Podcast. And then you can follow us on Twitter, at Aspiring Snobs. And, again, please, let us know what platform you're listening to us, because we are literally on every platform. We are it's, on It's so Stitcher. divided. We yeah, are John, on... it's so divided. Like, our nation, like, you know, how I know. Do... It's, it's so Let's depressing. reach some consensus here. Let's move to the middle. <laughs> mm-hmm. And maybe you can give us a few recommendations. You could always email us your questions and comments at AspiringSnobs at gmail.com. Absolutely. But we won't listen to them this week, because we've got that movie already planned out. <laughs> yes, we do. In honor of Thanksgiving, we'll be revisiting Babette's Feast. Yes, even though it'll be a week after Thanksgiving, but, you know, whatever. Okay, look, all right, I didn't, <laughs> look, JFK still screws us into the afterlife. That wasn't an accusation against you, it was our audience. It'd be like, well, it's a week after Thanksgiving, whatever, you'll live. <laughs> Well, we can only hope they'll be in a food coma from Thanksgiving to when the episode comes out. So it actually works perfectly. Okay, yeah. And also, doesn't that movie take place in Europe? It doesn't really... Uh, it's a Danish movie, yes. <laughs> now thinking about it, that's not really a very good uh, Thanksgiving film. <laughs> well, it's about a feast. It's about a family coming together, so... All right. And what is, what is Thanksgiving but a family coming together? That is true. And giving thanks. You know, I hope that the American family as a whole can come together. Absolutely. Whether yes. your crazy uncle <laughs> believes that the fluoride in the water is controlling all our minds. <laughs> mm-hmm. That the deep state is trying to undermine President Trump. Yep. And his horrible racist agenda. Yeah. That, you know, again, Russia swayed the election mm-hmm. instead, of, instead of the hugely uncompelling <laughs> weird old white lady. <laughs> okay, I mean, I, I don't right. want to get political. I apologize. <laughs> Hillary Clinton seems like a sweet person to meet in real life. I've never met her, so. <laughs> Donald Trump, on the other hand. <laughs> Greg, he's a great guy. He's the best guy. Okay? He's the best guy. He's okay. the nicest person you've folks, ever met. Folks, 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 come on. He's the best, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Let's get off this topic. Every, everyone have a happy Thanksgiving. Yes. And until next week, keep aspiring. Oh, God, now I feel horrible. I was confusing the African movie with the movie about hunting gorillas. <laughs>